0: So when I was in my junior year of college, I had an English class that I needed to pass in order to get my minor. And we had sort of one final paper that was worth a lot for that class. And so I remember knowing that my usual routine of going to the library two or three hours before class and doing (laughs) the paper that was due that day wasn't going to work for this paper um, in particular. And I, I tried to do a different approach. I spent a couple days writing this paper. I got so much feedback from other people about the paper, and I felt really, really proud of sort of the work I put in. But then once I submitted the paper and he started talking about the prompt we were answering, I realized that I didn't read the prompt properly, and I missed a key point that he wanted to see in the paper, and I wrote a completely different prompt that he didn't want. And I just remembered that day just like, Sinking into my chair, and I just started crying in that class because I knew even though I tried my best, I still failed.
1: From the Understood Podcast Network, this is ADHD Aha, a podcast where people share the moment when it finally clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. My name is Laura Key, I'm the editorial director here at Understood. And as someone who's had my own ADHD aha moment, I'll be your host. I'm here today with Yasmeen Adams. Yasmin is a user researcher, and they work with me at Understood. Welcome, Yasmin.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: When you got to Understood, you had not yet been diagnosed with ADHD. Is that right? No,
0: no, no, I haven't.
1: But your aha moment wasn't necessarily at Understood. It sounds like working at Understood kind of nudged you towards getting diagnosed, but you had an aha moment when you were in college,
0: your junior year. Is that right? Yeah. So in my junior year of college, I was finishing up my English minor, and there was one class that you had to take. I forgot what the exact class was, But there was a professor that was sort of known in the English department of being like someone who was like really tough, like a tough grader. A lot of the people in my major kind of describe him as like a pain in the ass, (laughs) um, (laughs) to be honest. And so he was the only person who was teaching the specific class that I needed in order to finish up my English minor. And I was sort of notorious by a lot of my friends of being like a chronic procrastinator. I was not the person who would, be responsible enough to, you know, oh, if I have a 10-page paper due, let me do two pages a day so that, you know, I'm not like too anxious about finishing the paper. What I would do is that I would actually do it the day of or like <laughs> the day before and just sit in a library for like two hours and like bang out a 10-page paper and call it a day. I look back on it now and it's like, wow, that was, that was a little, <laughs> that was a bit insane <laughs> for doing that. But for me, it was sort of like, one, I couldn't really break down things into tasks. It was always like, let me just do this one big assignment in, in one go and like get through it. And there was also like this weird sort of like rush I felt while doing it because it was almost like, I don't know if it's, it's similar to, like, how chefs are on, like, cooking shows and they have, like, 30-minute timers and they have to, like, whip out a dish and, like, hope and pray that, like, they'll get through. I felt like that was sort of the same rush I would felt, where it's like, wow, I'm, like, really anxious. I'm, like, down on the wire. I only have 30 minutes before I have to get to class. And I have 250 words that still finished up. But it was the like, adrenaline rush of actually getting it done and, like, the relief that you get it done. I would do this constantly, and I would never really be punished for it via, like, having bad grades or anything like that. And I sort of provide this context to help establish why this moment in my junior year of college was, like, so devastating. Because I remember, like, submitting a paper in for one of our first assignments, and then I got feedback on it, And I got like a C on it, which I never, I'd never gotten. And he was just like, you were jumping all over the place in essay. You were doing this, you were doing that. And I was like, I never had this feedback from everybody else. Why am I getting it from him? And I think like the breaking point for me was there was either like a final paper or it was a pretty significant paper to my grade. And based on the feedback I was getting from other papers and the grades I was getting, I was like, for this paper that I have to submit, I actually can't do what I usually have done. I actually have to, like, really sit down and, like, pay attention and, like, break this up so that I'm presenting the best possible paper I can for this class. And so I spent, like, two or three days writing this paper, getting feedback from other people, working with the English Resource Center at my school. I did, like, a lot of, like, preparation for this paper, which I've never done for any other class throughout all the time I've been in school. And I submitted it. I was really proud of it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get it, A. Like, I actually destroyed this paper. And then I remembered he was, like, talking about the paper, and he was just like, he mentioned something in the instructions that I completely looked over for this research project. And I realized in that moment I had made, like, a really dire mistake. And... I essentially wrote a different type of paper that he was asking for. And I just remembered like sitting in class and kind of just like sinking down in my chair and just started like crying because I was like, I did all of this hard work. (laughs) I put in so much time and resources that I never had to in other classes for me to still fail (laughs) and not do well. And that I think for me was kind of a big breaking point to where I was like, maybe I should really see what's going on with this because I always like kind of suspected it was related to ADHD, but I was like, well, it works for me. So I'm not going to really change it. But then it was, it was like after that moment, I was like, I really (laughs) should probably consider something's wrong. (laughs) Am I right that you got good grades for all of your life leading up to this? Oh yeah, definitely. I was definitely like an A or B student most of like my classes The only thing that got me in trouble was, again, this idea of following instructions. Even when in, like, kindergarten, like, I remember just, I remember teachers would say, hey, go right, and I would go left. Go up, and I'll go down. (laughs) That was sort of me. I never really liked the idea of having, like, things being set out to me in the form of, like, commands or, like, actions. And I never understood why I had to do it, so I would always, like, not do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And just to be clear, I don't think that actually getting a C is a terrible thing. It's not a bad grade. It's average. It's just yeah. I, I had a feeling from your perspective that was like like a knife to the heart. Oh, you know? yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Because I've literally never gotten a C up until that point. And I was like, whoa, this is, I don't want to be a C student. And it was definitely like a really crushed to me cuz i was like i always did well so why am i not doing well in this class particularly
1: did you feel like exposed when the professor kind of discovered your symptoms or your your methods
0: yeah like i definitely felt one like embarrassed a little bit i remember like everyone was looking at me and just like yikes <laughs> how did you get that wrong <laughs> And then, and I also kind of felt that from that professor at that time, you know, it was clear for you to not do that. And yet you did it. And so I felt like a little embarrassed because I felt like, am I the only one that didn't get this? Really? Nobody? <laughs> and I think also a lot of it, too, was that, again, like I felt like I could always kind of like skate by in a lot of classes. Because even I knew like it wasn't always the best work I put out when I had to rush or I was like in sort of that crunch time mode, but I would still get really good feedback. But when it came to him, it was kind of like he saw through the fluff I would put a lot in writing. He was one who was able to kind of see like the cracks in my foundation a little bit. And I think that's what really also irritated me. (laughs) And it kind of brought up a lot of insecurities about like my own intelligence, like was I actually smart or was I just kind of like passing through to pass through? You know what I mean? And so I felt like a lot of emotions kind of came up in that class. And I think that one paper moment really summarized essentially like how I felt at that time if I was like actually capable.
1: What did you do with that feeling and that information after that? How many years ago was that?
0: Well, that was my junior year of college, so I want to say that was probably like three or four years ago now, and I think maybe one of the first things I did was I definitely went to my friends, and, you know, at first I kind of looked at it as a him issue, as like a, he is just an a-hole, like, he just sucks, like, (laughs) he is not helpful, and looking back on it now, I kind of see why I did it, because again, I was embarrassed, I felt like, He was, like, seeing through me (laughs) and seeing through all of my faults and never looking at me holistically as a person through my writing. And I blamed a lot on him. But I think for me, it kind of took a lot of just reflection on, like, okay, this didn't work again. So maybe this is related to something else, and I just don't really know it yet.
1: But isn't it interesting, though, Yasmin, that, like, one paper, how that can change everything and be a catalyst – and so, when did you get diagnosed? That must have been one, two years ago. Yeah,
0: it was actually pretty early this year, I want to say. Um, so recent. Welcome yeah. to the club, Yasmeen. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm a, a weird club to be in, but happy nonetheless. <laughs> You're right. It is a weird club. <laughs>
1: I noticed at one point when you were talking, you said, oh, my methods aren't working again, which kind of tipped me off that maybe like little inklings of this had come up just not as um, intensely before. Is that right?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I, I remembered in school, one of my biggest sort of report card notes that I would always get is that Yasmin does not do homework. (laughs) I just hated the concept of homework. Why am I going to school for like eight hours a day? And I could barely focus there. And then you're forcing me to spend another two, three hours on homework. I would just never do it. And so many of my teachers said I was like smart and I was capable and I was definitely knowledgeable of what I was doing in class, but it was just the homework where that was a big stickler point. And one of my favorite like classes when I was younger, was history. I really loved history. I loved learning about world events and how that affected, like, future world events and who were the actors and who were sort of the players in those events and everything. And I remembered I got, like, a really high score on, like, the New York State Regents. I think it was, like, a 99% or something like that. It was super high. But then I got, like, a 75 in the class because I didn't do any homework.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Because I was actually just going to ask you, why do you think that you would rush through homework or dislike homework? There are so many reasons that kids with ADHD can struggle with homework. And one of them might be that they're just not interested in the topic and don't want to deal with it. But you were really interested in history.
0: Yeah, I was super, super interested. I loved history. And like I was good at memorization and everything like that. It was just the thought of having to sit down for another two hours after I just sat down for eight hours of school <laughs> to yeah. then do an assignment that was due the next day, I just could never do it. And yeah. so I, I never did. <laughs> or like if I knew like I had history for seventh period and I had lunch at fifth period, I would do my homework in fifth period <laughs> so that it was ready for seventh period. But sometimes it just never aligned and... I didn't do great in the class, but my teacher was always, like, kind of baffled by that. I remember her saying, like, that's mean you're really smart, and I want you to pass. I actually want you to get a really high grade in this class because I know you can. But the homework. <laughs> yeah. And I just I, I just couldn't do it. I, I don't know what, what it was.
1: It sounds like it was fatigue, right? Yeah. Like, during the school day, kids with ADHD that might put all of their energy into, like, focusing and doing everything that they need to do. And then by the time they get home, they're like totally drained. And like you gave everything that your ADHD brain could give during the school day and you just needed a break.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like it was a little weird for me because I felt like I, in a sense, was almost like masking a lot of the symptoms. Like I couldn't sit down or I just had to talk to somebody and distract them while I'm also distracted. Or like I would just do things that I guess people would consider weird. Like when I was in school, I always like used to talk to myself <laughs> or like come up with like weird scenarios in my head and kind of like daydream a lot. And other kids would notice that and they would call me weird or be like, what are you doing? And so I experienced that a lot when I was growing up. And so I felt like I had to like basically portray normal. And I remember that being like super tiring for me because I was Being someone that I wasn't and having to almost be like a chameleon in school to like make sure that people know like, hey, I'm normal, guys. I'm not weird. Yeah, I don't talk to myself. And I got bullied a lot when I was in school. And so, again, that's sort of where that hiding kind of came from, where I was like, okay, I need to be perceived as normal because at least if I'm perceived as normal, I probably won't get bullied a lot or I probably won't get asked like weird questions and things like that. And so I felt like in order to like – Maintain some form of social connection with my other peers. I sort of had to morph into what they believe or perceive normal is. And so, by the time I got home, I was so exhausted from school day.
1: I'm sorry to hear you got bullied, Yasmin. Yeah. What was the school like that you went to?
0: I went to public school here in New York, and a lot of the schools I went to, many of the families were lower income. Pretty diverse in terms of like race and gender. But it was only until I want to say maybe in middle school is when they started putting me in sort of like magnet classes or like, quote unquote gifted classes. And like in high school, I started to be in sort of like honors and, you know, IB and AP. And then the racial makeup of the classes and sort of the diversity slowly but surely started to sort of disappear. I think for me, That was sort of a big reason why I kind of got overlooked in school because it was just like, well, you know, their grades are good and they don't have any socio-emotional issues. So I think they're good. I felt like that's how a lot of teachers kind of, you know, looked at me. And at some points I kind of get it because it was just like, there are other kids who needed much more like attention and much more help from like parents and things like that. And for me, it was kind of like, well, okay, they don't do homework. They can't really follow instructions, but they're passing class. So that's what matters. Especially for the type of schools I went to, like, you know, grades of students determine, like, the sort of funding you can get. And so for them, as long as you're passing and as long as you're you're not sort of a danger to yourself or to your other classmates, we just don't have enough time to, like, really look to see if, like, there might be something else that's there.
1: What was your family's perception of all this?
0: It's interesting. So my family are from the Caribbean. My parents are from Jamaica. And so kind of like two different worlds. (laughs) And so even if they did sort of hear from teachers that like, oh, your child has trouble like sitting down and paying attention and has trouble listening to us and focusing and things like that. My parents kind of just chucked it up to me being a kid because it's like, oh, yeah, we see that so much in Jamaica. And so they didn't quite understand it. And so if there was maybe a teacher who saw that, like, maybe there was something going on with me. If they were to try to explain that to my parents, my parents would have just been like, oh, uh, that's kind of an American thing. You know, Americans love to, like, over-diagnose things mm-hmm. and diagnose people with things. You don't have that. That doesn't exist because we don't have it back mm-hmm. at home. And it's like... No, you do probably have it at home. <laughs> and I get they didn't have that language, but I I do wish that they sort of took some of it with validity because I felt like if they did, it would have been much easier for me in terms of them sort of helping me to get like sort of the services I need versus me, you know, when I'm 12, like looking up WebMD and, and looking up why can't I pay attention? <laughs> and I hear it a lot from like other immigrant households where it's like the first generation kids you know we have to be our own advocates because our parents sometimes need advocates themselves
1: your self awareness is pretty amazing at 12 years old you're looking up why can i pay attention <laughs> i definitely wasn't yeah. doing that when i was 12 and listeners it has nothing to do with the fact that the web was not very robust when i was 12 years old <laughs> there are a lot of feelings around that we talk with a lot of people who think about like their parents and again i always say this like it's no judgment our knowledge of mm-hmm. adhd has come such a long way and you're on the front lines of that as a user researcher yeah. Can you tell folks a little bit about what you've learned about ADHD diagnosis, particularly in the Black community, through your research?
0: Yeah. So we recently did research specifically with Black and Latinx parents and also Black individuals. One of the things we heard a lot was this idea of like an overdiagnosis and an underdiagnosis. A lot of times, behaviors related to ADHD that are seen in Black children they're more seen as, like, disruptive. But when it's not sort of related to, quote-unquote, disruptive behavior, when it's, like, sort of just, like, an inability to focus or things like that, it's usually sort of overlooked in a lot of Black students. And so there is sort of this weird, almost ironic sort of dichotomy between, like, focusing on this disruptive behavior in order to, like, punish and then not providing, like, help and services for people who are exhibiting, like, behaviors that aren't related to this idea of, like, disruptiveness. And, you know, in the end, it just doesn't help the Black students in general because you're constantly policed in school, but also not getting the help you needed. And we saw a lot of that. And also this idea of just kind of, like, passing kids through the education system, even though they still require help and still require some form of accommodation. I remember there was one person who we talked to who just felt like, They were kind of getting passed through school because teachers just didn't have the time, the resources, or honestly just didn't care enough to provide him the help he needed. And then once he sort of entered into college and entered into the real world, he was like struggling so much because he never was able to get the help he needed or develop the strategies he needed in order to like be in sort of an environment where you are sort of your own advocate And you need to seek out these resources. We don't just provide them to you. It ends up being like a a real detriment to a lot of Black students once they're sort of aged out of like our K-12 system and they kind of have to figure it out on their own. In your work, do you ever
1: feel like you relate to any of the stories that come up? And if so, is that cathartic at all? How does that make you feel?
0: Yeah, a lot of the interviews... (laughs) I conduct, it always feels like I'm sort of looking back at myself. It really gives me sort of the opportunity to really like reflect back on like my life and how that sort of came up for me and also feeling one scene and two that I wasn't, you know, this wasn't my fault because a lot of the times issues around not getting that help ends to be a lot more systemic than we sort of realize. And so, yeah, it's sort of amazing to kind of do this work because I get to help out other people while also learning so much more about myself and like, you know, also forgiving myself for things that I couldn't really control.
1: That's pretty incredible that the way that your Mm -hmm. work and your life and your experience have kind of intersected in that way. It's powerful.
0: I'm so grateful to like be able to have that sort of experience because I don't think I would have been able or I think it would have probably taken me a lot longer to actually look to get a diagnosis. If I hadn't had that chance of like constant reflection
1: have you uh, been in contact at all with that professor from your junior year? Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I, I have not.
1: I was I, just curious.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm still kind of a little salty with the B- that I got in the class. But, you know, if he's listening to this, thanks, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Yasmin, this has been wonderful. Thank you for being here with me today and yeah, talking with me.
0: Yeah, of course. I think this was fun. <laughs>
1: You've been listening to ADHD AHA from the Understood Podcast Network. You can listen and subscribe to ADHD AHA on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard today, tell someone about the show. We rely on listeners like you to reach and support more people. And if you want to share your own AHA moment, email us at ADHDaha at understood.org. I'd love to hear from you. You can go to u.org slash ADHD AHA to find details on each episode and related resources, that's the letter U as an understood.org slash ADHD AHA. Understood is a nonprofit and social impact organization. We have no affiliation with pharmaceutical companies. Learn more at understood.org slash mission. ADHD AHA is produced by Jessamine Molly. Say hi, Jessamine. Hi, everyone. Justin D. Wright created our music. Seth Melnick and Brianna Berry are our production directors. Scott Koshir is our creative director. And I'm your host, Laura Key, editorial director at Understood. Thanks so much for listening.